Welcome to our fourth episode of Truth by Fire. I'm Corinne Prince. This is my brother Ron Cash. We're playing this song, Mercy, Mercy Me, by the beloved Marvin Gaye. To speak about a man who lost his life most recently, a man of the community, a man that was honored, respected, a black man, that revered and lost his life to COVID. A friend of my brother Ron. So we want to go ahead and give honor to him today. So sort of talk about the man that he is and was to many people and continue to be in the hearts and minds. Right. So, Ron, if you can go ahead and talk about that relationship. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, John Kennedy is an amazing person. Um, his family and my family have been tied for years, his parents and my parents. We've all known each other, but I had a relationship with John for a long time. He's a, he's a council person and in Pasadena, but he's a leader. And he led people with love, and a, highly, a high intelligence, and, uh, and definitely integrity and strength, but with always a kind word. You know, uh, a lot of people are going to try to mask it. I'm not. I've had a long-time relationship with him like a lot of people in Pasadena had. They're going to all have their words and things that they want to say. I think he's an amazing individual. I've seen him people directly, you know, not just in a political format and a political arena, but him helping people directly. And he's a real, he was a real great guy. And uh, like I said, I love him dearly. But, um, you know, this whole COVID and the vaccine shots and stuff are very dangerous. And, um, excuse me, I just think that when you have an experimental apparatus that people are trying to stick on people to um, get them to take without it being, you know, actually studied and <laughs> know for sure what it can do, what it can't do. And you just see so many people dying, especially black people, black men like this man, you know, it just, it just kills you. And it's a, it, he's a dream, he's a dream, he's a treasure. He's an amazing person, you know what I'm saying? And you don't get John Kennedy's every day. You just don't. So for us to start the program off, I don't want to make it about uh, what's happened to him and his death. I'm going to talk about his life, but I want to also say something in regards to this, because he's, a, I don't want to smear or anything like that to make this is the, the eat it of his life. He was a great man in my eyes, okay? In many eyes, people. So I'm going to stay on that, but we can pivot and go into the direction of what I want to say. Um, there's a lot of people that are believing in vaccine shots and they're believing in things that are just not true. And a lot of people have been forced uh, to take shots because of their job or their career or just being ostracized from a group of people. And we're coming to find out at this particular moment that that's not turning out so well. We've, got a lot, a lot, we've lost a lot of people especially in the African-American community in America. Black American community, excuse me, we're not Africans. But the point is, is that who's going to start pushing the pause button and start looking at this? Now, I had a polio shot, measles shot, and then of that nature. I didn't have to have boosters. 
I didn't have two or three shots to be inoculated so that I wouldn't get sick. And if they said, oh, I got sick, they didn't say, well, you got polio, but it's a lesser case of it. It's a, me, it's milder. Get the out of here. That's a lie from the word. And we need to start having that conversation, especially in the black community. But of course, in the nation, we're not just talking to black people only. And I don't want it to seem like that's what we're doing. But I'm having this conversation because it really needs to be discussed. And we need an open forum for people to be able to discuss it without feeling, you know, trapped or going to be attacked because you say and, you know, there's a lot of churches that, you know, signed on. Black churches signed on for the people to have a shot. They were even putting them the, 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 the inoculation places in their parking lot. Like you can come get your COVID shot. Some churches were requiring before you can come inside and sit down, you had to have the shot. And if you didn't have the shot, some of them said, well, you can sit in this section, but the people that are unvaccinated have to sit in that section. I mean, it's like ridiculous. No one's standing on March 16. If you lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. And there's no deadly thing that will hurt you. These people are preachers. And they know who they are. And I'm calling you out on that. Still haven't gotten away from that. Now, obviously, God's blood and the blood of Jesus covers all sins and iniquities. So we're not trying to condemn you to hell. Bad doctrine is bad doctrine. And if we're going to stand on the power of the Holy Ghost, we're going to stand on the power of the living God, we stand on his word and his promises. Going back to these places that have done these things, they have caused a great deal of dissonance in it. Character issues are being thrown out, and we're all seeing what's going on right now. And now the wreckage and <laughs> the catastrophe is standing us in the face. And now we have to figure out what we're going to do from this point forward. I suggest since they cannot prove even the president of the United States of America fully vaccinated, and he's had all his booster shots with the three, still got COVID. Now you have to ask yourself, what drug have they ever put out that's had this kind of a losing <laughs> track record and keeping somebody well? Why would they keep pushing it? Why? So to get to finish what I want to say with this in regards to this, um, I suggest that you do not take any more shots from them and booster shots or whatever they call, they call it, because it sounds to me that they have another agenda, which they're not discussing, and they're using you as a test dummy. Uh, very powerful statements. I, I think that, you know, when you talk about, you know, even just vaccinations and just your own right to privacy, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, your own personal freedom being encroached upon. You know, I have a, I should have an active choice in whether or not I should put something foreign into my body, you know, as a human being. And then you were talking about this segregation, if you will, happening inside churches themselves, the unvaccinated and vaccinated. I even saw on school campuses you know, at, at the elementary level, I saw videos in it where literally these kids were put in these in these these caution, these caution tape areas segregated on the, the playgrounds. You are unvaccinated. You need to stay here, contained and almost in this mini concentration camp of sorts, while the other kids were liberated enough to go and, 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 and have their lives and, and, and be free and play. What is that telling our children? What are we establishing as far as what is human rights and just civil and what's humane? And I think, you know, what's happening surrounding this shot, you know, um, the legitimacy or illegitimacy of it, um, conspiratorial or otherwise, the reality is, and the fact of the matter is, it is infringing upon the rights of not only human beings in this country and our right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, but around the world. And the, the, the ramifications of it are going far beyond 
just, you know, a playground or segregation and, and separating and dividing members of a church. But it's, it's, it's a cascade of problems that we're not going to go into today. But the reality is there's a fallen soldier in our ranks Absolutely. that did not have to die. Well, we're not, I'm not want to make sure that I say this clearly. I'm not saying what he died from or how he died from. I haven't told some things. I'm not going to confirm or deny anything. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that this is a problem in the black community. Yes. I love John. John is gone. And I'm praying that he's in heaven with Jesus. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's a lot of different things that are going on in the black community. And people have been forced to take shots. Mm-hmm. So we can go to the next subject. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Moving to a uh, a little lighter of a subject. It's, it's almost bittersweet of sorts. But, I mean, me being a film both uh, actor for a number of years um, and the Hollywood icons of yesteryear and how the idea of what what it meant to be a man was personified in film, obviously. Um, and those icons are no longer celebrated anymore. Matter of fact, the idea of manhood, which is anything that is represented, you know, in fiction, always in the nonfiction world, from, from reality to fantasy and vice versa, they always reflect each other. Mm-hmm. And we're talking, you know, the odd cons of yesteryear from the John Waynes and the Humphrey Brogarts of the world have now been exchanged out. They're now been, been deemed as irrelevant, almost racist of sorts, been seen from demigods at one point in our history to now seen as villains and not to be idolized or looked upon in any way um, in modern day society or what is considered the modern man. And, um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Now we've got now we've got I'm sorry. I, got asked, I just went to watch the new Thor movie. By the end of the movie, the man's wearing an apron, multicolored, with a kid basically throwing, you know, superpower beams at him. So he, he he's running from the kid, playing, you know, nothing wrong being a daddy at home. But now he's got a multicolored apron on, you okay. know. Listen, so listen. What, the idea of manhood within the Hollywood icons of today. Oh, okay. Well, I've been marginalized. So, okay. so yeah, let's talk. we can talk let's about that. that. We'll talk about that. I, I hear what you're saying. I appreciate what you're saying, but no disrespect. What I'm about to say is a little bit different. When I um, talked to you about this before, my conversation was, where is the John Waynes? Where is the, where's the Clint Eastwoods? Where's the Charles Bronsons at? You know what I'm saying? Where are those guys? And what I meant by that is that there was a mantra that went across the whole country, right? That white men were strong and they were demanding. They were tough. And they, they meant something. And then you had, in the 70s, you had black men. You had Jim, you had Jim Brown, Jim Jimmy and Richard Roundtree. They were tough guys. You know what I mean? And they were strong. And everybody's like, oh my God, Jim Brown was a real actual hero. Best on football, running over everybody and tough. They moved him out and put him in television. Put him in my movies. Uh, I met him through some other people. I won't say their name right now, my birth father. But my point is, is that you see these guys, these icons, these larger-than-life spe- people, and you run in con- and you run in, in, in come in contact with them. And I've had chances to to, to be in in the pro- close proximity of Clint Eastwood, being up in Carmel, and you see these guys for real. So now, point is, if the man can't be a man, if he can't stand up and be who he really is, who's determining that? Now, it looks like some movie executives, some marketing agents, advertising agents, some sociologists, psychologists, they're all in a room trying to figure out 
what's going to be the new form of a man. And they're determining that. So they want to extricate the real man and create this new man that is based on some hyperbole, all these different value systems that they wanted to come up with that are not real. They're not based on what a man is when he comes out the womb of his mother and what he's going to develop into being. So now when you ask that question, you say, well, where is these men at? But you got to look at what China's doing. China right now is ex excuse, extending their military. They're training their men to be tough. They're training them to be hard. They don't want our men to be tough because we already are tough. So they got to weaken us so they can feel like they can go and attack because they can't attack if the men are strong. And we don't have as many people as they do. But our men are tougher. They're bigger, stronger, faster. Why do you think they're paying so much money to the NBA? Why do you think LeBron James is falling apart? He's 6'10", 280 pounds. I've seen him in Beverly Hills. He's a very big individual. You know, you, you get you get kind of lulled to sleep when seeing him on camera. He's a very big individual. He's a very big person. And for him to move and run that fast, them Chinese people know they can't take that pressure. Now, if you had a whole bunch of them, you don't need a bunch of them. You don't need hundreds of millions. You just need a few like that running at and they're going to do what? Go the other direction. And don't put technology with it, with the equipment and stuff that they might have on top of all that. There's not going to be anyone wanting to invade America. Think about what I'm saying. And you have white people the same way. Big, strong, Midwestern people. They've been fighting for this country for a long time. But if you take away their mantra as being a man, strong, determined, virile, unafraid and patriotic oh my god but until then you got to stay away so this is the mantra forget hollywood i know you're hollywood got no disrespect but hollywood is only an apple it's only like a propaganda john ford movie used to be right john ford was walking around making these propaganda movies for them for the military air force navy and army okay but that's not the point at that time we were celebrating manhood we were celebrating the nation we were celebrating the military and we were celebrating our nationality as a country and we all believed in christ and god jesus and we knew that as a nation now that doesn't fit into the mantra that these people are pushing and i'm going to say this to all those individuals that feel like you know this is toxic we'll keep looking at it baby because it's real toxic Right. And I know you don't like to hear it. That's why I put it on you. That's real toxic. Because when I leave you, I'm going to the gym and be more toxic. I'm going to be lifting up all kinds of weights. <laughs> all right. And I'm teaching my sons and everybody else around me, hey, you can keep on going. You can be tough. You can be strong. And you can be intellectual. The point being is why is that a problem? Who made it a problem? And why don't they want that to extend further out? Why do they have to change that? Who would want that? That's the perennial question. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we talk about it, and I think you know Hollywood and all of that. The reason why I bring that up from a Hollywood standpoint is the way you access people's minds at a viral level mm -hmm. is through what you call modern day propaganda. That's why they call it television programming. How can I get <laughs> enough people to have the same mindset uh, yes, at one time? No disrespect. By the millions. I didn't mean so, to disrespect you. Oh, no, no. It wasn't disrespect. I'm just saying Hollywood in and of itself is a tool to use to control.
right? It's, it's a representation. You have your idols. People want their idols. They, they're celebrities. It's a form of misdirection. It's a form of, if we want something to get propagated out faster and then looked at as positive, it's all psychology and everything else that's infused. It's all marketing and sales. Absolutely. Hollywood and television are its marketing and sales of ideologies that they want to what? Indoctrinate the people with Absolutely. at a large scale. Absolutely. And if you do it in the form of film, right? Mm -hmm. And something that's, you're there, you're relaxed, you're talking from a psychology point of view, you're there and relaxed and receptive to whatever's being Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're there, you're having your popcorn, you're you know in a place of socialization, mm -hmm. and then in comes that screen, tapping into your sensory mechanisms mm -hmm. and going down, downloading to your unconscious and subconscious mind. Absolutely. So when you come out of that theater, why do you think those guys are, why do you think they're wearing the capes? They're wearing the outfits, you know, back in the day, you know, like even in, in the, um, uh, in a toy story, what the kid do? It went from a movie, right? In the movie reels to having the dolls and all of that to him wearing it. Now I feel, again, I'm an, I came from the acting world. When you put on the clothes, you feel different. If you put on the cap, Cowboy outfit. You you're don't a cowboy. feel like a cowboy. Absolutely. You're swashbuckling. You're strong. You're courageous. You're brave, right? Absolutely. Same thing. If I put on a suit, then I'm gonna feel like James Bond, right? Right. But if I put on, you know, if I put on some slippers and some jogging pants, then I'm gonna feel relaxed and lazy, and I want to sit around my house. That's all psychology. Even the kinesthetics of wearing clothes. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of psychology that goes behind just putting a film together mm -hmm. and putting those together. And if you've got and some ideologies that you want to go ahead and convey and deliver and facilitate in a mass audience by the means, that's what television and Hollywood is for. Absolutely. So when you talk about, you know, these films and these characters, Clint Eastwood isn't a person to people. He's an idea of something larger than that. Mm -hmm. He's a theme that runs through the, the heart of patriotism in this country where we represent. When you see him, you don't just see, uh, you know, you don't, don't see a, a guy on a horse. You see all these other characteristics that you were just talking about when it comes to the idea of manhood. Mm -hmm. Similarly, you fast forward to a film like a Thor and all of a sudden he's got a multicolored apron on or, you know, you see Zeus and he's got a skirt on. Then what is that saying? Mm -hmm. What what is that indoctrinating, imprinting in the minds of all of those people, most importantly, the young people watching it when they when you talk about the idea of modern day manhood. And I respect what you're saying, but let me say this thing, let me give it to you another, another he one this, another side to this. No disrespect what you said, everything was tight. But I'm gonna hit you with another side of that. Yes. Clint Eastwood and Charles Bronson, John Voight, any of these people, you know what I mean? They only sold what was already out there. If it was out there and they sold it, it was because the people already had that mantra. So they they recognized that from the outset. It wasn't like they put out something new and everybody said, let me go jump on this. That didn't happen until the late 80s and early 90s when you started seeing the movies change. All right. And they started digitizing, do the green screens and all this other stuff. Star Wars and, and all these other movies and the Star Trek starts to take off, you know, now in a different direction. And then they had these other movies that were coming out to show right. different aspects of, you know, space travel and all these other things. That were coming Which out. is nothing different than a Western. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> in I mean? some ways, in some ways, but not. You know, the way, yeah, well, they were, the, the, the characters and what they characterized. That's what I was about. Yeah, but the concept of what they were doing was completely different. Mm. And so, yeah, mm. I agree with you on that part. Mm. But the when the when the focal point changed is when they started the medium started to change. It started going from film 
the digitizing things. Mm -hmm. uh, that's when things start changing. They start giving the green screens. They can change the whole mantra of what people thought. And then they started coming with the, you know, the Marvel movies and everything else like that. It now that gave them the focal point to change it. But when they were making movies before, it had to resemble the community and the situations that have happened in the past where no one was buying it. Yes, very true. Already imitating life in that respect. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but back to my point. If a person doesn't understand that that's what it was really about, that people were really living like, and they were saying, okay, look, this is what this dude did in 1860. This is what this dude did in 1920. This is what this guy did in 1960. You might be in 1980 watching you know, uh, a James Bond movie. You know what I'm saying? Right. You might be in 2000 watching a James Bond movie back in the 70s. You know what I'm saying? But he had to be co consistent with the whole character and how everything was supposed to work out. Right. So that's where I'm talking about. Now, at this point in time, they're trying to change what's going on educationally, sociology, social, social economically, being, meaning that, well, you know what? If you're going to get into our business, you're going to have to have this woke agenda. You have to accept the fact that we have transgenders. You're going to change the pronouns. You're going to have to talk to people like that. You're going to have to be a beta male. Your toxic masculinity, if you're too strong, we're going to not even have you in the company because you're going to threaten people. What are you talking about? But then won't stand up and say, you know what? You're threatening me. That's a direct affront to me as a man. So you're going to tell me I can't be the man I need to be because that threatens you? Now, listen, as an African, I hate African American, as a black man in America, let's get it straight. Black men have been always stigmatized as being intimidating, strong willed, aggressive, and threatening just in their whole presence. Now they've taken that off for the black man and they put that squarely on the white guy. The white man, that was the problem. And I'm here to say, I'm here to support white men. Why? Because then once they get extricate and eradicate the white man, who do you think they're going to go back to? They already had that stigma on us. As a black man in this country, that's what they've had on us. And it's really ironic because Black Lives Matter is run by three lesbians. And they said in their original mantra that you could not be a man and have any authority or power unless you were transgender, okay, or gay. You couldn't be who you were. As a man. And they want to destroy the nuclear family. They don't want the nuclear family. That was the whole point by saying that. So they felt like that and they considered themselves comrades. So all this whole thing, you're using my male masculinity as a black man against myself and you're going to go out there and promote and supposed to support me. That does not work. That's all BS. So at the end of the day, going back to what we're saying about the movies, it's nothing more than a vehicle to talk about what's really going on in the streets. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> you know, Straight out of Compton came out four years ago. And I remember exactly when, you know, <laughs> the album came out. And it said, it said, F the police. And people are like, huh? Well, at that point in time, the police, LAPD, it was real. Uh, we were told that if you got in a car and the police pulled you over. And, you know, I'm walking around. With, we're, I'm coming from college. <laughs> so I'm not... You know, even though I did live in the hood with my grandmother, uh, I'm coming from college. And my friends, we were told, if you're in the car and they throw the lights on you, if you move, they're going to shoot into the car. So we couldn't even move. We just sat there like statues. But, excuse me, I had some friends of mine who were white. They were my classmates and people I was friends with. 
and we would go places and they would pull us over. And then when they would say, first thing, I wouldn't even be driving. And they say, I wouldn't go ask the driver or anybody else. They'd go, me, where's your driver's license? And if I didn't produce a driver's license, they were going to snatch me out of the car. I'm driving. I'm not even driving. So why are, you pulling, why are you asking me about me having a driver's license when I'm not even driving? There's no purpose of me having a driver's license. Matter of fact, I don't even have a car. Okay? <laughs> but the point behind this, let's make it simple, is that they considered me a threat. See what I'm saying? So I want you to understand that we understand this better than anyone else in this country. Okay, so let's get to the main focal point. If they get rid of the white man, all they're going to do is reinstate what they did before to the black man. And then next, after they go into him, they're going to the Hispanic and Asian or anyone else that's out there. And they're going to put the same thing on them. Unless you capitulate and be weak and be feminized and be and be soft, we're going to attack you. So at the end of the day, what I want to get across right now to people is that if you want your son, your nephew, your cousin, your father, your, your brother, your grandfather to be treated this way, whether he's white, black American, Asian American, Hispanic American, North Asian American, South Asian American, it doesn't matter, okay? They're gonna be treated that way. So it's gonna to touch your doorstep at some time. And how do you want your male family members to be treated? It should be the thought that you have in your head that, you know what? I love them. We need them. They're valuable. And let's recognize them just for that. Amazing. Amazing. One other thing I wanted to add to that was not only seeing guys of men towards one another, but from the children's standpoint, from daughter's standpoint, that's somebody's wow. father out there, wow. somebody's uncle out wow. there. Wow. How are they going to look at their father now when now you've demonized him? Wow. And made him a villain in his own home. Wow. The one that's supposed to protect for them, provide for them, look after them, love them, care for them. Now that same man who looked in their eyes as soon as he came out of their mama's womb, who stared at her and said, I never let anyone hurt you, that I'll never let anything happen to you. As long as you with me, I got your back. I protect you against everything. Now that same little girl is going to look at her father in the face and say, you're a villain now. You're an enemy to me. What are you doing? But they're not thinking about, about that. They're not thinking, not. They're, they're not thinking about what they're doing not. because they're, what they're thinking is, is that, you know what? He's inconsequential. He doesn't matter anymore. Mm -hmm. See, that's a feminist ideology and mantra. And mm -hmm. let me tell you something for all you feminists. You came out of me. I determined your sex from my testicles. Period. That's In the story. Scientific, factual. Undeniable. You can't change it. So now, at this moment, we're getting ready to segment into something else. We are. But I want to say this before we do. Your daughter is going to eventually turn on you because the maternal instincts that's inside of her can't be changed in a boardroom. Okay? Can't. Cannot. You can try. You get a couple of people, but most of the people right now and families are throwing back this mantra coming from Disney, they're throwing it back. The movies are, are not selling. The people are not watching them and they're getting ready to stop going to the parks. They're not playing with you. And the streaming services are gone down significantly. Look at Netflix. Lost a million people in one month. So you keep playing that game. The public is not buying it. Awesome. Well, segueing into, you know, we're talking about 
the idea of manhood and how that's being um, marginalized, changed, diluted, whatever you want to call it. There are internal mechanisms behind the scenes that are calling the shots and, and, and making these things a part of the, um, I mean, we can call it if we want to be conspiratory or just deliberate in trying to transform or change and transition our ideas of what we considered to be true and now trying to transform that reality. And that moves into the idea that you had spoke to me about the internal civil war in this country. And it's something that is hidden to most, but it's something obviously that's becoming more pervasive every day. And um, if you can kind of go into that and what does that actually mean, this internal civil war that's happening and what are going to be the repercussions of that and what do we need, you know, as you know, members of this country to be aware of moving forward to sustain our sense of what we think this this country is built on and how we're going to lead our lives moving forward. Okay, this is going to be controversial. There's it's not a it's not a conspiracy theory, and you know some people in our intelligence agencies came up with this whole concept conspiracy theory. Anything that has to talk about something that they don't want you to talk about, they call it a conspiracy theory. A theory is a guess. It's an educated guess. This is not educated guesses. These are facts and figures and information that's right directly available. You don't have to guess about anything. <laughs> so that can stop conspiracy. All right. The conspiracy means the words is the parties working together for a mantra to no one or or a set goal that no one knows about. And they're doing it, you know, but not unbeknownst to anyone else. So in that sense, there, yes, they are a conspiracy. There's some issues going on, right? But it's not a theory. Okay. It's not a guess. So let's get down to the main. There's a great possibility that we're going to we're going into a phase where we might be going into a civil war. And I'll tell you the reasons why. If you go back to the 1860s, why they were having a civil war is because at that point, slavery had hit its zenith and that the people in the north felt like that, you know, enslaving the, the descendants of Africans was a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And you had the Puritans and you had the abolitionists who were the Christians and said, hey, look, this is wrong. But there were some other factors that people don't want to talk about and that they started bringing over white people and they were indentured servants. They were serfs and they were bringing them to the East Coast and to Boston and they were doing child labor. They're a lot cheaper. The slaves, the African slaves were much more expensive. You know, to get a buck in the 1860s was like sixty five thousand dollars. It was a lot of money. And uh, so they had in, in the South, they had more slaves than they actually had. Citizens, white citizens, they were free. Can you explain to people what a buck is? Because some people would. Oh, a, a buck is a strong, black, virile man. And why were they so important? Because they were having sex and they were having sex like they were being breed, bred. They were producing so many strong, black children. And they took those children and they grew them and they separated them and they kept having sex with them. And they would breed them like they would breed animals. That's why they considered chattel real, right. part of the property. So... <laughs> they did those things so that they could have a huge amount of work. And this workforce was free. You paid for the buck, but you didn't pay for the rest of them. Okay. So obviously you had to start off with some females. And when you were having, these bucks were having sex, they were producing a lot of females and not so many males. So obviously they were able to, you know, to, to increase the amount of people they were producing. Right. So, so at that point you had those two different variants. Um, when they looked at the white slavery aspect of it, it, it was the, because the reason why I believe, and I mean, if the information's there, you can go study it for yourself. You can read the book, The Unseen Hand by Ralph Epperson. Please look at it, and it'll tell you everything that you need to know. <clears throat> uh, one of the major issues they had at that time was that the white slaves were going to be cheaper, and the black slaves were, you know, 
pretty much bigger and stronger at that time because they were bred to be that way. <laughs> so it's not that they didn't have any big white people. They had a few here, a few there. But all the black people were big. Now, how would we know that? Was well, the Smithsonian had the slave ships. And so for them to take them around the Horn of Africa, which they could have just straight directly across the Atlantic, they didn't do that. And they did, that was a six-month trip. And they did that for psychological and physical reasons. First of all, you're sitting in the bottom of a ship. You're sitting in feces. You're sitting in sickness, vomit, right? You have very little food. And it's psychological effects of you being stuck in, like, basically the hole that way. And women and men. <clears throat> and if you survive that, then the, the strongest, most physically strongest, psychologically strongest people survive. So they burned off the, 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 the dross, the people that are weak. They got rid of those. So now you got the strongest people. And then you breed these two strong people together. And then once they have the baby, you separate the family and you just keep breeding and separating and separating. And you do that for almost 500 years. You're going to have a super group of people, i.e. the black Americans. And so at that point, they, they, were, they were more valuable than anyone else. They would take more pressure and be more, you know, uh, they're more durable and they had much more strength than the other races, the people that are coming to this country. <clears throat> so in other words, that's where they had the whole breakdown in what they were going to do with labor. And it was obvious that they knew that if they're going to have nation, they couldn't have a slave base or surf base uh, of, of the population. So they started telling the slaves, go north because they were trying to take away their base. And the South, Southerners like, this is our, this is our foundation. This is our base. This is where we get our money from. These Southern Democrats <laughs> still doing the same things. And they were like, we're going to, we're going to fight for this. We need these people. So now if you go modern day right now, let's look at what they're doing with the Southern border. They're inviting people from other countries that should not be here. Ely, Tell them to run across the border and send you across the nation illegally. They're supposed to go to Ellis Island. They're supposed to go through the process of becoming a, a full-blown citizen. We want you if you're a good citizen. We want you if you're a good person. But we don't want MS-13. We don't want the, the cartels bringing people in. We feel bad for them. Not everybody that's coming to this country are bad people. Don't let me. I'm not trying to categorize all people that are coming here illegally as bad people. But it is an industry. And these people have been fighting against this country from their outset. You can see it. So now the point is, is that that's one aspect. Second aspect, and then which is really the first aspect, when you have an open border, then you can do whatever you want. And you can bring people in whatever you want. So that gives another element of why it is a possible possibility we might be having a civil war. Because people are angry. And our enemies can come in this way. They can't beat us when we have a strong border, but they can beat us when they can come inside. They can cause mischief. We're a huge island, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> you have the Atlantic Ocean on one side and the Pacific Ocean on the other. We're a huge island. So our enemies are trying to figure out a way to get into us, and this is the best way. The third factor that we're not taking into consideration is that the Democrats that are running this country right now and some of the Republicans really have been purchased and paid off by our enemy, China. China's paying them off. They're an old society. So they are off of uh, bribes and mischief. You see, some of our leaders having Chinese wives, they're known spies, known spies. Mitch McConnell. <laughs> so that's the way it is. So this war, this civil war is more than just Americans fighting Americans, left versus right, Christians versus atheists and satanic organizations. Those are part of it. But these are also nationalities that are coming in.
you think I'm lying? Look at what's going on with the NBA. I said the NBA controls is being controlled by the Chinese government. Why? Because they got more people watching the NBA in China than they do in America. So they're looking at dollars and cents. They don't care about nationality. So these things are happening, and they're trying to destroy America for what reason? Well, I'll tell you, today they have two things that are in, and you need to listen to what I'm about to say. One, the Chinese is buying, they just bought some land, all right? Some land in North Dakota that's 12 away from an Air Force base where we run all of our new drones and all of our new satellites, this controlling station right there. And now the people are talking about it, even the Democrats are saying, well, how did this happen? Well, we're going to figure it out. And, and the mayor and the governor of North Dakota, which is Republican, said, well, this is a good thing. No, it's not. It's a bad thing. But when you're getting bribes and you're getting paid off, it's a good thing for you. But is it a good thing for the nation? So these things are happening and people are not paying attention. Along with that, with this woke analogy that they've been pushing out, the military is down 45% from its recruitment. They're supposed to be at 51 in September, 51,000. They're down to 26,000. Nobody wants to because they put this woke vision up. They put this work commercial up. They put this woke uh, cartoon up saying, oh, yeah, I have two moms and, and I believe in standing up for love and all this other crap. Excuse me. And <laughs> most of the southern states, the red states, are producing most of our people that are enlisting. I don't believe in the draft. That's going to go backwards. But what I do believe in is you got to treat people with respect. They don't want to take the vaccine shot, which is understandable. The president has been fully vaccinated, as I said earlier, and he's been he's got fully boosted and he's still got COVID. So that's number one. Can't throw me out the military because of that. And number two, uh, the sexual orientation thing. It's ridiculous. OK, you can't have this mantra going through with people that are trying to go out and fight for this nation. And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier about having strong men. OK, not saying women can't serve, but man, we need men out there to fight and kill and protect this nation. OK, so this is something nobody wants to say. So now in that, if you're going to have a civil war, you would need to weaken the people here again and make them not as strong. And not as ardent about being nationalistic and standing for this country and not believing in God, especially Christ, and trying to get rid of all those things so that you could destroy America. Now, what would be the purpose of destroying America? Let's think about it. If you're a globalist, do you want America to think in a nationalistic format? Do you want it to recognize its roots? Do you want America to stand for its constitutional rights? The Americans believe in this country and to fight for it anymore? Or do you want them to lay down their arms, give away their weapons? get rid of their constitution, and start being censored and told what to say and how to say it. What would you want? Obviously, you would want them to get rid of all their, their power and get rid of their constitutional right, get rid of their weapons. And it's not even weapons, it's an arm. An arm could be a tank, a jet, a bomb, a missile, a satellite, a drone. The limit on that. But when you're listening to the narrative over the media, they tell you, Read it to you for yourself. It says the right to bear arms. And it also says in the Constitution that you should have a well-conditioned militia to fight against enemies, foreign and domestic. See, this is the thing that they're leaving, leaving out right now. So, yes, this is a great, strong possibility that we're going to have a civil war because a lot of people understand what's on the line. And they really do, and it's getting scary. Well, I mean, we are ardent <laughs> patriots of this country. Uh, obviously, I'm in a faith, and um, I think we had talked about it just briefly. Um, you know, 
prior to this podcast today, you know, from a spiritual standpoint, um, when it comes to Ezekiel. And we're going to go into that last book, Ezekiel. And if you can kind of go into that, I'll I'll read the scripture, but then you can kind of just talk about it from the function of it. Well, you can go ahead and pull pull the scripture up. Um, This is Ezekiel 3333. Probably no, there has to be a reason why those threes keep popping up here. But anyway, that's another. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coasts and set him for their watchman, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning, his blood shall be upon him, but he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. And that's a powerful scripture. Absolutely. And I think that <clears throat> that, that really encapsulates what this podcast is about. You know, the, the passion that you have and what, you know, from week to week articulating these points. What, what was the purpose of why we're here, why are we having these conversations? Why are we sharing this information and coming from a place of our spiritual convictions, our grounding in Christ and God and, and having a, a personal responsibility mm-hmm. to speak to the people. Absolutely. God came to me and told me, hey, listen, all right, you are the watchman on the wall and you have to tell people about what's going on. And um, you can go to my Facebook page and post about it today. And uh, it's controversial, long, and has a lot of information in it. But let me just cut it down because we're on a podcast, so I don't want to give up too much. But I want to give you enough for the city. The key to this whole thing is, is that God consecrated America to himself. Just like Israel was a country, but it was consecrated under God. Well, this country was consecrated under God, too. What do you mean by consecrated? I'll explain. It was created under God. Okay, and how do we start? Because Benjamin Franklin and George Washington were the main factors on this country being built. Please don't just take my word for it. Go by the PBS documentary on Benjamin Franklin and his effect on this Constitution, on the Bill of Rights and the creation of this country during the time when they are in the war of independence against Great Britain. Please get that. It's a three hour movie. I suggest you get it as soon as possible. I'll give you some snippets so we can keep going. Snippets were that Benjamin Franklin was the one that really engineered what was happening here in this American experience. He was also sent as an envoy into France and he was dealing with the king and the king of France was funding the independence war the whole time with money, with equipment, with with supplies to keep the country going. At the same time, George Washington was the general who was actually fighting the war. Okay, so you had two different people running the country at this time. The other people, the Jeffersons and everybody, they contributed and they put their names on it. But in actuality, those are the two most important components to make this thing happen. Both of those people were Christians and they knew God and they stood on God 100 percent. Okay, so they were the ones making this happen and they understood what was on the line. So they were having a civil war within Britain because Britain technically at that time 
own the colonies. They belong to the king. And so most people don't understand this mantra they keep coming out with these people coming to me on my Facebook page. It's church is supposed to be separated from state. They don't understand what that is. Why? Because they don't know what the Magna Carta is. It's the document that the Constitution of the United States was made after. And it was a way to prevent the provinces, providences which are pruned against the king. The king could just come in, write a document, get wipe them out. No evidence, no fact, no proof. That's what they did. So they and he was not only the king of the state, but he was the king of the church. So he could he can come up and say, You, you know, your 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 uh, life and what you're doing with Christ is wrong, and we can cut your head off tomorrow. Or we could we could torture you because you're making some kind of mistake against God. So when we came to this country and we started, when they came up with the concept of church, the, the church separated from the state, it had nothing to do with you can't talk about God and, and talk about politics at the same time. These people are ignorant. It had nothing to do with it. It had all to do with the fact that the government could not write a law to tell the church what to do. Just like the king was the king of the church and he was king of the state. In this country, law is king. That's the difference. So the law cannot write a law against the church. That's the separation of church and state. But all of the people that started this country off in 1799, 1789, excuse me, they were in New York. That was our, that was our White House there. That was our, that was our capital. And at that point, they went down to Trinity Church and prayed for four hours at that church. That meant the Senate, the Congress, the Supreme Court, and everybody else in the military, everybody was involved, starting this country off, went to a church and prayed for four hours that Christ Jesus would protect this country. So it's been concentrated on the Christ without question. Go look at the definition in Black's Law Book. Church has nothing to do with being Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu, or Sikh. Go look at it for yourself. Don't, don't come to me. Don't get mad. Go do your own research. And you're going to find out some amazing things. But this is the most important thing. Being the watchman wall. And giving you this information is telling you that we have religious freedom. We're not gonna, we're not gonna subjugate someone else. In this country, we don't tell you if you don't believe in Christ that you need to get out of here. We don't do that. But trust me, if you go to Saudi Arabia, go to Egypt, you go to Syria, you go to Iran, you go to Pakistan, and say that that's not a Muslim country, guess what's getting ready to happen to you? But see, that's okay. They, the left and the Democrats and and the and the, and the, and the Satan worshippers, they don't even argue about that. But say Jesus, say God, oh my goodness. Think about what I'm saying. The Palestinians right now are on the West Bank of Israel. They shouldn't even be there. That's not their country. They got the whole Middle East that surround Israel with all the territory they can possibly be in. They got to have that one small little space right there. And they got to say that. And guess what they want? They need to control the temple of Solomon. That's where they're at. That's where Jerusalem is. They got, they got built the Dome of the Rock. On top of something that wasn't even there. That was top of Solomon's temple. And the Jews are afraid to say anything about it. This is what we're talking about. They're changing the definitions of everything. So this is how you start a civil war. Because people are saying, wait a minute. No, uh, uh, uh. This is our country. This is how it was built. This is why it was built. This is who it was built under. This is what it was built for. And if you try to change that, then you're going to make us have to stand up and fight for our rights to live. And that's what you got going on right now. Do I want to see a civil war? Absolutely not. Do I think calmer heads should prevail? Absolutely, they should. But as long as you got one group of people pushing to try to change everything and get rid of the people 
and the way they think and how they want to live in this country because they got some other new mantra they come up with in a boardroom, trust me, you guys are asking for a civil war. One more thing along with that. When they had the civil war, when, when Lincoln was there, he suspended habeas court. They had martial law. So that means that the Congress and everybody else wasn't working at that point. He was handling everything from a war standpoint. So if Biden and the rest of these people that are playing these games, and eventually this game is going to show them. And I'm going to say, I wasn't going to say it before, but I'm going to say it now. I want it to be known. I'm saying it. I'm not listening. This is not on Clean Princess or Ron Dash. Listen, this COVID experiment that they came up with, they had the economy for two years, and they tried to change every rule they could, and, and the Supreme Court came out and said, it's illegal, it's unconstitutional for force anyone in the federal government or in any state or municipality to make you wear a mask. Can't do it. The masks do not keep you from getting COVID, nor does that vaccine shot keep you from getting COVID. It's all a decision. They cannot tell you that you cannot go anywhere without having the shot or the mask. That's an infringement on your freedom of speech and your ability to have the 14th Amendment have equal protection of the law. They don't want to talk about that. Second thing about this, this COVID experiment is that they inoculated so many people, but the Supreme Court judged that a long, long time ago, in early, late, early in the late 2000s, that the government said when they, have an, when they do an experimental uh, drug, that the drug companies cannot be put into a class action lawsuit. So they're not worried about if you get sick or die. Now, that's a big issue. And you want to talk about something else? What happens when the people find out? It becomes real after they lost family members like I have and friends that I have and colleagues and people that I know. And they found out that that was never really designed for them to protect you from something. Matter of fact, it might have made you sick. So now at that point, you ought to upset people. So if that's out, there's going to be a lot of people wanting people's heads to be responsible for what they've done. And that could cause a civil war. So all of this is happening and no one's discussing it. No one's having real honest conversations about it. And eventually this is going to hit people's doorsteps and they're going to be really mad. So my suggestion to everyone, and I'm letting my brother speak after that, is that these elements are being superimposed on people and they're being forced into a small space. And everybody's being forced to see it from a different perspective. And they're going to start saying, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. And I don't like what they're doing. And matter of fact, I need you to stop now. What's my last example? San Francisco. They threw the school board member, uh, the chairman out. They sue out four or five other people. They said, we're not going to let this mantra go through their schools anymore. Second thing they did, they got rid of the, they got rid of the district attorney. And if you don't think that people in California, that the, the Democrats are not nervous, you must be crazy. They are scared than a hooker in church. They don't know whether to stand up, sit down, or clap. They are worried because they know the people are getting fed up with this. So this is the this is the preceding portion of having a civil war. You have two different mentalities, and one of them is trying to destroy what's already been put in place. So that's my position on it. And I'll let my brother speak. Very powerful points. You know, I mean, you talking about us being, and, and you particularly guy calling you to, to have a cast and, and share these very powerful you know, points of view in order to be that watchman at the gate. And what does a watchman do? He's protecting, preserving the most essential elements of that community, that civilization, that village, 
So they can what? Protect minds, protect their, their way of life, protect their, their personal principles, protect their families. And this is why we are here. And this is why our founding fathers came to this country and fought and risked their lives so that we can be in a position today as an African-American, Benjamin Franklin did not know me. <laughs> he did not know my brother, Ron. Nope, he didn't. Some African-American or a black American, like you had stated earlier. He had no idea, but he was fighting for something greater than race, greater than nationality, greater than gender. He was fighting for the freedom of humanity and those who be in this nation called America. That mm -hmm. is an ultimate patriot. Absolutely. And we've forgotten about that. We've diluted the power of that. We've called it aggressive. We call it toxic to be a patriot of this country, mm -hmm. to be a watchman at the gate, mm -hmm. to be passionate about what it is to be an American and having a foundation of God and faith, providence, Christ, and that freedom of those who come into this country to be who they want to be. We've never restricted or made it a totalitarian environment for never. us to live in. Never. It's never been tyrannical. Never. Now, we can talk about the Crusades. We're not talking about the Crusades. We're talking about the Crusade within this country to honor and respect all of those who consider themselves Americans and citizens of this country. Absolutely. And that's what it's really about. This is not polarizing for the sake of being polarizing and aggressive and causing division. This is about bringing us together as a country and as a nation and being those watchmen out of the gate to preserve what this country was founded upon. So that being the case, hey, we appreciate all of you listening. Um, Ron, you always have the last word. And um, yeah, we, we, we honor the fact that, you know, our, our fallen soldier, Brother Johnson, you know, the I life that he led. Kennedy, John Kennedy. John Kennedy, I'm sorry. Um, and the life that he led and the, the reverberations of his life will continue beyond this moment, beyond this day. And the people and the lives that he's touched. And he, to me, just in the limited things that I've learned about him in the last couple of days, he showed what it meant to be an American. He meant to be a man. Absolutely. From the heart. Absolutely. And living his life in the service of others. Yes. And he was amazing. His Democrat, his sister worked with the Obama administration for two terms, I believe. Definitely no for one. And his family, there were some brilliant people. And I'm blessed to have known them and grow up with them. There's nothing that they can say but, but a fantastic man and a, from, from a fantastic family. And Black Americans that need to be you know, highlighted and and put in a position where people can respect them tremendously. And let me say something about that. We don't all have to come from the same political affiliations to get along. What we have to do is have the best interest for the country. You know, I was raised by my parents and they were Democrats. And I appreciate and learn from them. But I was also given the opportunity to see things from another perspective. And I chose to take the other the other angle. Doesn't mean that we can't sit down and talk and have, you know, spirited conversations and be very respectful of everybody involved. John was an amazing person, just like there's some other amazing friends of mine that are in politics and that they're running things in Pasadena at the time. And they're doing amazing things. Some of my friends are even running the uh, the Rose Committee right now, which is amazingly powerful. And uh, so I was lucky enough to be able to touch some circles, some social circles at a time when black people weren't able to do it. And hopefully God was allowed to my, my experience in that those circles opened up some doors for people so they can do something that you're doing right now and i'm very thankful for that but these people have worked hard and so what i want to say is that it's time to exalt and give people a light that are men and women of color 
and to start to look beyond color and then start to look at the mantra of human activity and treatment of humans as equals. Okay, but not diminishing the fact that we have men and we have women and whatever your sexual um, affiliation is, it shouldn't even be discussed. It should be about the content of your character, not the color of your skin or your sexual affiliation. And that's what God put through Martin Luther King. He said, I have a dream. And what people don't even know is that Mahalia Jackson, who my grandmother worked with in the NAACP, told him to send that, say that speech. And he wasn't going to say it, but he said it anyway. A black woman inspired him to say that speech. He wasn't going to, he was going to say something completely different. But how many people know that? So I'm going to say this to you today, this truth by fire, these things that have been said. Understand this. You have a right to speak. And you have a right to think. And you have a right to investigate. And you have a right to stand for what's most important. And that is the truth. Today, we love you. I stand for Christ always. Never going to be ashamed about that. I appreciate everybody that's listening. And may God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit be with you. Rest in peace, Mr. Kennedy. You're loved and respected, my brother. Big time.